Chapter Three of the Crucifixion of Philip Strong by Charles Monroe Sheldon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Gore. Chapter Three. I have come to see you about your sermon of yesterday morning, began Mr. Winter abruptly. I consider what you said was a direct insult to me personally. "'Suppose I should say it was not so intended,' replied Philip, with a good-natured smile. "'Then I should say you lied,' replied Mr. Winter, sharply. Philip sat very still, and the two men eyed each other in silence for a moment. The minister reached out his hand and laid it on the other's arm, saying as he did so, "'My brother,' "'You certainly did not come into my house to accuse me unjustly of wronging you. "'I am willing to talk the matter over in a friendly spirit, "'but I will not listen to personal abuse.' "'There was something in the tone and manner of this declaration "'that subdued the mill owner a little. "'He was an older man than Philip by twenty years, "'but a man of quick and ungoverned temper.' He had come to see the minister while in a heat of passion, and the way Philip received him, the calmness and dignity of his attitude, thwarted his purpose. He wanted to find a man ready to quarrel. Instead, he found a man ready to talk reason. Mr. Winter replied after a great pause, during which he controlled himself by a great effort. I considered that you purposely selected me as guilty of conduct unworthy a church member and a Christian, and made me the target of your remarks yesterday. And I wish to say that such preaching will never do in Calvary Church while I am one of its members. Of course you refer to the matter of renting your properties to saloon men and to halls for gambling and other evil uses said Philip bluntly. Are you the only member of Calvary Church who lets his property for such purposes? It is not a preacher's business to pry into the affairs of his church members, replied Mr. Winter, growing more excited again. That is what I object to. In the first place, Mr. Winter, said Philip steadily, let us settle the right and wrongs of the whole business. Is it right for a Christian man, a church member, to rent his property for saloons and vicious resorts where human life is ruined? That is not the question. What is, Philip asked, with his eyes wide open to the other's face? Mr. Winter answered sullenly, the question is whether our business affairs, those of other men with me, are to be dragged into the Sunday church services and made the occasion of personal attacks upon us. I, for one, will not sit and listen to any such preaching. But aside from the matter of private business, Mr. Winter, let us settle whether what you and others are doing is right. Will you let the other matter rest a moment and tell me what is the duty of a Christian in the use of his property? It is my property, and if I or my agent choose to rent it to another man in a legal, business way, that is my affair. I do not recognize that you have anything to do with it. 
not if i am convinced that you are doing what is harmful to the community and to the church you have no business to meddle in our private affairs replied mr winter angrily and if you intend to pursue that method of preaching i shall withdraw my support and most of the influential paying members will follow my example it was a cowardly threat on the part of the excited mill owner and it roused philip more than if he had been physically slapped in the face if there was anything in all the world that stirred philip to his oceanic depths of feeling it was an intimation that he was in the ministry for pay or the salary and so must be afraid of losing the support of those members who were able to pay largely he clenched his fingers around the arms of his study chair until his nails bent on the hard wood his scorn and indignation burned in his face although his voice was calm enough mr winter this whole affair is a matter of the most profound principle with me as long as i live i shall believe that a christian man has no more right to rent his property for a saloon than he has to run a saloon himself and as long as i live i shall also believe that it is a minister's duty to preach to his church plainly upon matters which bear upon the right and wrong of life no matter what is involved in those matters are money and houses and lands of such a character that the use of them has no bearing on moral questions and they are therefore to be left out of the preaching material of the pulpit it is my conviction that many men of property in this age are coming to regard their business as separate and removed from god and all relation to him the business men of to-day do not regard their property as god's they always speak of it as theirs and they resent any interference as you call it on the part of the pulpit nevertheless i say it plainly i regard the renting of these houses by you and other businessmen in the church to the whiskey men and the corrupters of youth as wholly wrong and so wrong that the christian minister who would keep silent when he knew the facts would be guilty of unspeakable cowardice and disloyalty to his lord as to your threat of withdrawal of support sir do you suppose i would be in the ministry if i were afraid of the rich men in my congregation it shows that you are not yet acquainted with me it would not hurt you to know me better all the time philip was talking his manner was that of dignified indignation his anger was never coarse or vulgar but when he was roused as he was now he spoke with a total disregard for all coming consequences for the time being he felt as perhaps one of the old hebrew prophets used to feel when the flame of inspired wrath burned up in the soul of the messenger of god the man who sat opposite was compelled to keep silent until philip had said what he had to say it was impossible for him to interrupt also it was out of the question that a man like mr winter should understand a nature like that of philip strong the mill-owner sprang to his feet as soon as philip finished he was white to the lips with passion and so excited that his hands trembled and his voice shook as he replied to philip 
"'You shall answer for these insults, sir. "'I withdraw my church pledge, "'and you will see whether the businessmen in the church "'will sustain such preaching.' "'And Mr. Winter flung himself out of the study and downstairs, "'forgetting to take his hat, which he had carried up with him. "'Philip caught it up and went downstairs with it, "'reaching him just as he was going out the front door. "'He said simply, "'You forgot your hat, sir.' "'Mr. Winter took it without a word and went out, "'slamming the door hard behind him. "'Philip turned around, and there stood his wife. Her face was very anxious. "'Tell me all about it, Philip,' she said. Sunday evening they had talked over the fact of Mr. Winter's walking out of the church during the service and had anticipated some trouble. Philip related the facts of Mr. Winter's visit, telling his wife some things the mill owner had said. "'What did you say, Philip, to make him so angry? Did you give him a piece of your mind?' "'I gave him the whole of it,' replied Philip, somewhat grimly. "'At least all of it on that particular subject that he could stand.' "'Oh, dear, it seems too bad to have this trouble come so soon. "'What will Mr. Winter do? "'He is very wealthy and influential. "'Do you think—are you sure that in this matter you have done just right, "'just for the best, Philip?' It is going to be very unpleasant for you. Well, Sarah, I would not do differently from what I have done. What have I done? I have simply preached God's truth as I plainly see it to my church. And if I do not do that, what business have I in the ministry at all? I regret this personal encounter with Mr. Winter, but I don't see how I could avoid it. Did you lose your temper? No. There was some very loud talking. I could hear it way out in the kitchen. Well, you know, Sarah, the more indignant I get, the less inclined I feel to holler. It was Mr. Winter you heard. He was very much excited when he came, and nothing that I could conscientiously say would have made any difference with him. Did you ask him to pray over the matter with you? No. I did not think he was in a praying mood. Were you? Philip hesitated a moment and then replied seriously, Yes, I truly believe I was. That is, I should not have been ashamed at any part of the interview to put myself into loving communion with my heavenly father. Mrs. Strong still looked disturbed and anxious. She was going over in her mind the probable result of Mr. Winter's antagonism to the minister. It looked to her like a very serious thing. Philip was inclined to treat the affair with calm philosophy based on the knowledge that his conscience was clear of all fault in the matter. "'What do you suppose Mr. Winter will do?' Mrs. Strong asked. He threatened to withdraw his financial support, and said other paying members would do the same. Do you think they will? I don't know. I shouldn't wonder if they do. What will you do, then? It will be dreadful to have a disturbance in the church of this kind, Philip. It will ruin your prospects here. You will not be able to work under all that friction." and the minister's wife suddenly broke down and had a good cry, 
while Philip comforted her, first by saying two or three funny things, and secondly by asserting with a positive cheerfulness which was peculiar to him when he was hard-pressed, that even if the church withdrew all support, he, Philip, could probably get a job somewhere on a railroad or in a hotel where there was always a demand for porters who could walk up several flights of stairs with a good-sized trunk. "'Sometimes I almost think I missed my calling,' said Philip, purposefully talking about himself in order to make his wife come to the defense. "'I ought to have been a locomotive fireman.' "'The idea, Philip Strong!' A man who has the gift of reaching people with preaching the way you do? The way I reach Mr. Winter, for example. Yes, said his wife, the way you reach him. Why, the very fact that you made such a man angry is pretty good proof that you reached him. Such men are not touched by any ordinary preaching. So you really think I have a little gift at preaching? asked Philip slyly. A little gift? It is a great deal more than a little, Philip. Aren't you a little prejudiced, Sarah? No, sir. I am the severest critic you ever have in the congregation. If you only knew how nervous you sometimes make me, when you get started on some exciting passage and make a gesture that would throw a stone image into a fit, and then begin to speak of something in a different way like another person, and the first I know I am caught up and hurled into the subject and forget all about you. Thank you, said Philip. What for? asked his wife, laughing. For forgetting you? I would rather be forgotten by you than remembered by any one else, replied Philip gallantly and you are such a delightful little flatterer that I feel courage for anything that may happen. It's not flattery, it's truth, Philip. I do believe in you and your work, and I am only anxious that you should succeed here. I can't bear to think of trouble in the church. It would almost kill me to go through such times as we sometimes read about. We must leave results to God. I am sure we are not responsible for more than our utmost doing and living of necessary truth, Philip spoke courageously. Then don't you feel disheartened by this morning's work? No, I don't know that I do. I'm very sensitive and I feel hurt at Mr. Winter's threat of withdrawing his support. But I don't feel disheartened for the work. Why should I? Am I not doing my best? I believe you are. Only, dear Philip, be wise. Do not try to reform everything in a week, or expect people to grow their wings before they have started even pin-feathers. It isn't natural. Well, I won't, replied Philip with a laugh. Better trim your wings, Sarah. They're dragging on the floor. He hunted up his hat, which was one of the things Philip could never find twice in the same place kissed his wife, and went out to make the visit at the mill which he was getting ready to make when Mr. Winter called. To his surprise, when he went down through the business part of the town, he discovered that his sermon of Sunday had roused almost everyone. People were talking about it on the street, 
an almost unheard-of thing in Milton. When the evening paper came out, it described in sensational paragraphs the Reverend Mr. Strong's attack on the wealthy sinners of his own church, and went on to say that the church was very much wrought up over the sermon, and would probably make it uncomfortable for the Reverend gentleman. Philip wondered, as he read, at the unusual stir made because a preacher of Christ had denounced an undoubted evil. Is it, then, he asked himself, such a remarkable piece of news that a minister of the gospel has preached from his own pulpit against what is without question an unchristian use of property? What is the meaning of the church and society unless it is just that? Is it possible that the public is so little accustomed to hear anything on this subject that when they do hear it, it is in the nature of sensational news? He pondered over these questions as he quietly but rapidly went along with his work. He was conscious as the days went on that trouble was brewing for him. This hurt him in a way hard to explain, but his sensitive spirit felt the cut like a lash on a sore place. When Sunday came, he went into his pulpit and faced the largest audience he had yet seen in Calvary Church. As is often the case, people who had heard of his previous sermon on Sunday thought he would preach another like it again. Instead of that, he preached a sermon on the love of God for the world. In one way, the large audience was disappointed. It had come to have its love of sensation fed, and Philip had not given it anything of the kind. In another way, it was profoundly moved by the power and sweetness of Philip's unfolding of the great subject. Men who had not been in sight of a church for years went away thoughtfully impressed with the old truth of God's love, and asked themselves what they had done to deserve it. The very thing that Philip wanted them to ask. The property owners in the church who had felt offended by Philip's sermon of the Sunday before went away from the service acknowledging that the new pastor was an eloquent preacher and a man of large gifts. In the evening, Philip preached again from the same theme, using it in an entirely different way. His audience nearly filled the church and was evidently deeply impressed. In spite of all this, Philip felt that a certain element in the church had arrayed itself against him. Mr. Winter did not appear at either service. There were certain other absences on the part of men who had been constant attendants on the Sunday services. He felt, without hearing it, that a great deal was being said in opposition to him. But, with the burden of it beginning to wear a little on him, he saw nothing better to do than to go on with his work as if nothing unusual had taken place. End of chapter 3 Recording by David Gore